and then we're gonna have some fun tonight. Are you guys excited? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for bringing us back together again. Uh, man, it's been a good weekend. Um, it, it's been good to see some familiar faces. It's been good to meet a lot of new people. I'm enjoying hearing the stories that I'm hearing, hearing from these folks. And God, you give all of us a story. You give all of us unique experiences. You made us so each of us can learn something from another. You've given us different strengths and different weaknesses. You've put us in one body that works together beautifully because we help each other. Where I'm strong, somebody else is weak. Where I'm weak, somebody else is strong. And you just put us together in this family that loves one another whenever we're functioning in a healthy way. And so God, tonight we're going we're gonna to study what your word says about loving one another. And I just pray you open our hearts to this, God, because this is so, so important for a lost world to see because this is how people are going to know that there's something different in the world. There's something healthy. There's something better, but only when we're being faithful, God. And so I just pray that even as we listen to your word tonight, even as I teach it and speak it, that, there, that we'll be faithful and that we'll not just hear, it'll be in one ear and out the other, God, that we'll apply the word to our lives and that we'll, we'll become who you created us to be. And I pray all of this in your son's name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. All right. Guys, open up to Acts 2. Uh, verses 42 through 47. I love this. Okay. The first time I was ever assigned a sermon to preach, whenever I had first became a Christian, I was still like dripping from my baptism. And I was training for ministry. And my uh, preacher friend, Gary Lambrick, who was kind of mentoring me, said, I want you to go and open up to Acts 2. And I want you to look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. And I want you to write a sermon on it. And I didn't know what I was doing. So I went and I opened up Acts 2. And I went and read this. And I looked at this. And I was like... Nobody does this stuff. What is this? And I learned that this was the first expression of the church in the world. What we see here. And I was like, this isn't the church I grew up in. This isn't even your church, Gary. Why don't we do some of this stuff? What's the deal? It's in the Bible right here. And Gary said, that's a good question, Wes. Why don't you think about it and tell me? Guess what? I never figured out the answer. Other than we're being unfaithful. Right? And I was a young Christian and very zealous and was very happy to tell people all about that. They didn't want to listen to the new kid who just got baptized. I was kind of a jerk about it. Like, sometimes when we're so young, we get idealistic and we don't have the wisdom to understand that our ideals don't always connect with reality and that you need to be patient and wise and dealing with people. And so I was just kind of a jerk. You know, I took the Myers-Briggs and got a J-E-R-K. That's my first <laughs> God has matured me since then a little bit, so, you know, um, it's a work in progress. But let me read this real quick. Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What were the apostles teaching? Who taught them? Jesus. Jesus. These guys that set up the apostles' feet. They're sharing Jesus' teaching, okay? All the books they wrote, New Testament, it's all Jesus, okay? They're repeating what they heard. For the most part. Sometimes they got some revelations, but that's what they're committed to. Jesus' teaching, the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship. What's fellowship? Mutual sharing together, right? So they're devoted to that. Uh, they're devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What's the breaking of bread? It could be table fellowship, which in their culture meant we got a really good relationship going on here because we don't eat with people we don't like in their culture. It could be communion. Um, guys, you want to know why they got together for church in the first century? Yeah. To take communion. 
That was the primary reason they got together was to remember what Jesus had done for them. That was their primary reason for getting together. Where is that today? It's kind of an afterthought sometimes, right? Breaking the bread into prayer. This is talking to the Lord corporately, talking to Him together, talking to Him as one body, right? Another thing, it's kind of an afterthought sometimes, but they devoted themselves to this, okay? And then it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. That doesn't mean just ideas and, and teaching. This means their stuff, too. Like, their possessions. Like, if I need something, somebody else is going to help me. If they need something, I'm going to help them if I can, right? That's why it goes on to say, they sold their property and possessions, and they gave to anyone who had need. They weren't materialistic. They weren't holding on to their stuff. They sacrificed greatly to help those around them. It says, uh, every day... How, how often? Every what? Every what? How often do you meet together with your brothers and sisters? Every day they met together in the temple courts. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So there you see that expression of fellowship. Uh, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So even the people who weren't Christians thought, man, there's something different about them. Look at them. That's so cool. And look at what it says in this last line. It says, And the Lord added to their number how often? How often? How often? Have you seen this? He added to their number daily those who were being saved. How cool would that be? Guys, as somebody that was really lost and is married to a woman who was really lost, she wasn't always the sweet little Ariel you guys know. She was, uh, she was something else. <laughs> we were saved because people cared enough to reach out to us. We're very passionate about evangelism. I would love nothing more than to see people coming to the Lord every day. I just got a call earlier from Ariel. She's baptizing another one tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, I made my day. It's this girl we've been studying with. I want to see that every day. Multiple, multiple times, right? It was happening for them. There was this little movement of people. 120, not too long before this, grew to 3,000 after one sermon. Now every single day, people are coming to the Lord. Bible scholars estimate within just a few short years, 20,000 people have come to the Lord in Jerusalem. You got a church of 20,000 in Jerusalem. And then it spreads out from there. And it says in Acts 8, a persecution broke out and the people started going, just the regular old vanilla Christians going, spreading the gospel wherever they went. They scattered. They're telling people about Jesus. He was dead, but he came back to life. And you can have your sins forgiven. And he created you to be something more than what you are. He's the way to get there. And it just spread. It was awesome. And you want to know why it was so attractive? Did these people love God? Who else did they love? They loved one another. Let me show you another passage. Flip to uh, John 13. This is uh, at the Last Supper. This is after Jesus had washed the feet of the disciples. They didn't want their stinky feet washed. They did it anyway. It's like, no, I'm going to do it. Watch this. This was something that was reserved for the lowly servants. And here is the Lord of everything washing these guys' feet. 
And then he says this in verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. What's the new command? Why is this a new command? It's not part of the commandments. Okay. Uh, were they commanded to love other people before this? Yeah. What's the greatest command? Love God with everything you got. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. This is a more specific command to love. Love your neighbor is general. This is specifically talking about disciples loving other disciples. That's why he says it's a new command. It's about Christians specifically loving other Christians. Now that doesn't mean we don't love others too. But this is a specific command here. It's new. Jesus introduces this. This wasn't around in the Old Testament. Jews love Jews. It doesn't say that. <laughs> disciples love disciples. That's the command here. And he says in verse 35, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. They're going to see something different in you. They're going to see something attractive in you. They're going to see something in you that they don't see anywhere else in the world. And this is very, very important to do this. He's very specific. And guys, how many times does the Bible have to say something for it to be important? Okay, do you know how many times this is repeated? I'll just read through these real quick. I don't have this on the slide. I will give this to you in the quiet time stuff I'm going to give to you. I'm going to put that out at the end of this lesson. Uh, but John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 15, 17, this is my command, love each other. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 13, 8, let, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you because you have been taught by God to love each other. Second uh, Thessalonians 1.3 We always ought to thank God for you brothers and sisters and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more and the love you have for one another is increasing. Hebrews 13.1 Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. 1 Peter 1.22 Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you've been, you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 John 3.11 For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 1 John 3.23 This is his command to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. 1 John 4.7 Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. 1 John 4, 11 and 12. Make note of this one. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I love that. 2 John 1, 5. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Does this sound important to you? Yes. It's all over the place. Like after Jesus says this, they remind and remind and remind and guess what? This is the command, this is the command, this is the command. This is the tool of witness to a lost world. You guys are this family. You're this, you're something different. And it's awesome and it's attractive. And it's, it's, uh, it's one that's repeated over and over. Um, and so what I want to do in this lesson, I think it's one thing to say, Love one another, love one another, love one another. And everybody leaves like, oh, we're supposed to love one another. How? 
You know, I, I think it's kind of important to answer the how, like maybe what it looks like on a practical level. And you want to know what's really cool about the Bible? Is it tells us. Have you guys ever studied the one another passages? Okay, some of you guys are like, what are the one another passages? The one another passages are all about carrying out this command to love one another. And I've gone and looked at all of them and categorized them. And so we're going to look at these, and that's going to be our lesson tonight. Cool. And so you're going to see, so basically it's how do you love one another? Here's the answer, okay? It's through these one another passages. And so I think there's 11 different categories. And for each one, we're just going to look at a couple of the scriptures that go in the category, and then I'm going to give you the rest. And then we're going to talk a little bit about something else at the end, and uh, that's the lesson. So anyway, here we go. Number one is be unified and accepting of one another. By the way, the how on this, loving one another should affect your attitude toward one another. And so the first several of these are all about attitudes and just kind of the posture you should have toward your brothers and sisters. So the first one is our posture toward our brothers and sisters is we need to be unified and accepting of one another. Romans 15.7 says, Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. All right. So this idea of accepting, it means that, um, that you like receive one another where you are. Uh, you meet people where they are, and you bring them along with you. That's kind of the idea. Um, and so we're in different places, like we come from different backgrounds, but the really neat thing about the church and the really neat thing about Jesus and the really neat thing about God is he will meet a person wherever they are. So your background is in Islam. Okay, great. We'll start there. Your background is in the church, but you never really committed. Okay, great. We'll start there. Your background is one of abuse. Okay, we'll start there. Your background is addiction. Okay, wherever. It doesn't matter. We'll meet you wherever, and we'll bring you into our family. What other places, what other group is like that? It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, or what you know or what you don't know. We'll meet you wherever and bring you along. There's no prerequisites other than you're a person created in the image of God, which is pretty inclusive. You know? Pretty inclusive. So we'll meet you and we'll bring you along. That's my posture toward you. That means no racism. That means no favoritism. That means a lot of the things that we get caught up in in the world, there's none of that. There's no room for that in the church. There's no room for that. One of the reasons Jesus condemned the Pharisees so strongly is because they looked down their noses at people that weren't like them. And they drew lines in the sand where God hadn't clearly drawn lines in the sand. And then he said, if you step over this line, I just spit on you, sorry. If you step over this line, can I get you a moist towelette? Um, if you step over this line, you're going to hell. God didn't say that. God looks at him and says, you, fair, you dumb Pharisee, you drew that line. I'm going to send you to hell. Some Pharisees repented, most of them didn't. Um, yeah, no prerequisites. We accept people where they are, right? One of the greatest sins, that Jesus ran a tirade against those Pharisees in Matthew 7, I believe. Or not Matthew 7, wherever it was, the seven woes. Ran a tirade. He had his harshest words for those people that put prerequisites on who could be accepted and who couldn't. Don't do that. 
Be unified and accepting of one another. You know what is a unity killer? And that uh, verse in Corinthians is about division. Guys, you know what kills unity in the church? Pride. Just this attitude that I know better. And when you go look at the prayer of Jesus in John 17, how he prayed for believers to be unified. And then you go look at the problem that was being addressed in all the epistles. Like 1 Corinthians was written, the whole letter, one of the longest, most condemning letters of a church, because those people weren't together and united. The book of Romans written because the Jews and the Gentiles couldn't get together and they were not united. Like, a lot of ink was spilled in the first century to combat this problem. And go consider like what it says should be done to a divisive person. And second, what is it, Titus uh, 3.10? You warn a divisive person once. After that, you warn them a second time. And then what do you do if this is the third time? You kick them out of the church and you let, don't let them back in. Dang! Seriously, that's what it says in the Bible. That's how serious God takes this, guys, because this command to be unified is so vital to be protected because God is depending on us to show him to others, right? We've got to be unified. Second, our posture, we need to have a posture of forgiveness toward one another. We're to forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So this idea of forgiveness just means to pardon. Right? There's no place for holding grudges. What is it? People say, well, what if they don't repent? Well, leave it to God. You know, there's no place for grudges on your part. That doesn't necessarily mean you forget what a person does. You know, I think you need to be wise, and if, if there's a need for protection sometimes, like, that's not, that's not unchristlike. But guys, in your heart, you have to forgive them. You have to forgive them. You have to pardon them. Uh, and a killer of this, guys, is just putting yourself ahead of others. And thinking too much, again, it goes back to pride. Think too much of yourself. Guys, what are you doing in your baptism? It says in Romans 6, it says that... Uh, you know, it, it connects the idea of it's dying to self. We're dying to our way of life. We're dying to who we are. We're dying to our desires. We're giving up our life so that God can live through us. And as we serve a God who died on a cross praying for the forgiveness of the people who were put in there. And so that's the model we have to follow. So I don't care what happened. It doesn't, we got to forgive. we got to forgive, okay? Thirdly, be affectionate toward one another. Uh, this is greet one another warmly. So this is uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Why didn't you guys kiss me? <laughs> in, uh, in, Bible, in Bible study, we, uh, we want to look at the scriptures. And, and a good way to study the Bible is to figure out what the scripture meant to the people who originally read it first. right? And so this greet one another with a holy kiss. The principle there is to greet one another warmly. Now, the application of that principle may look different in different cultures. In our culture, 
if everybody ran up and started kissing people in the <laughs> church, some people wouldn't come back, some people would come back too much. <laughs> so, we don't do that in our culture. Um, you know, and, and a holy kiss, like, even in the Middle East today, they still do this. Like, it's a little peck on the side of the each cheek and in Italy and stuff. They don't even really make contact. It's just sort of a, you know, they make the smack noise. Um, <laughs> mwah, mwah, you know, hi. Um, that's how that works. But uh, we don't do that. So how do we greet one another warmly? What, how do we apply this principle to greet one another warmly in our culture? You know, we shake hands. We give a high five. We give a hug. But the idea here, and it's an important one, guys, is you greet one another warmly. You don't just ignore somebody when they come in the room. You know, you go, hey, how you doing? How many of you know that person who you always look forward to seeing them because they always greet you like this? And it feels good, right? It's just a way to feel love. And I think, like for our ministries, we're reaching lost people, one of the best ways you can get somebody to kind of keep coming around and relational, connected, is do it just to make a big deal about it when they come in the room. I'm serious, not, you know, be sincere though. Like, just go love on them. Hug them. Make them feel loved. And just make that part of your culture and your group. Guys, it's healthy. It's healthy, okay? Um... Fourthly, be patient with one another. You need to have a posture of patience toward one another. It says in Romans 14, 13, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Ephesians 4, 2. Be humble and completely gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Okay. Quick side note on this word judge. One of the most misunderstood words in our religious uh, culture today because it is a weird word in the original language. It had six different meanings, and it's always just translated judge in English. And it, it means something really different in each context. In this context, it means to show favoritism. It means to prefer one person over another, which is, I know it's weird. Um, but this is likely just referring to don't treat somebody different because they get on your nerves. When it says stop passing judgment, guys, some some people just get on your nerves, right? Yeah. <laughs> some of y'all are like, yeah, they're, they're right here. Uh, guys, the, the teaching here is uh, don't treat them any different. Let them get on your nerves. Get over yourself. Right? Yeah, true. Get over yourself. Who cares? And this is one of the things I say to the people in my, in my group all the time, when they're talking about doing something they don't feel like doing, but the Bible calls them to do it. And I tell myself this, and sometimes my wife tells me this, and it makes me angry, because um, it's my own words. But what does how you feel have to do with anything? I say that to my people all the time. I don't feel like me, 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 me. What does that have to do with anything? Like, seriously, when you get down to it, who cares about your feelings? Like, okay, great. Get over it. What does God say to do? I don't feel like getting up in the morning and going and exercising. So, get up and do it. I don't feel like hanging out with so-and-so. He stinks. Well, bring him a bar of deodorant and hang out with him. You know, uh, we'll talk about that for a minute. Anyway. 
Seriously, what is your what is your your feelings have to do with anything? Jesus didn't feel like going and dying on a cross. He didn't feel like it so badly that he sweat blood. Yeah. A little something called hematidrosis, which is an actual medical condition that occurs when you're under the most intense psychological stress one could be under. The membranes are thinned around the sweat glands, blood gets through, you literally sweat red. He didn't feel like going and dying on a cross. He did it anyway. And he says, those who love their life, they'll lose it. Those who give up their life for me, they're going to find it. Even if they don't feel like it. Right? Um, this idea of uh, bearing in Ephesians is just uh, to regard others with tolerance, to endure, to put up with. Does that make sense? Put up with the people who annoy you. That's how you love them. God may have put them in your life specifically so you can learn to love. You're welcome. Put up with, okay? Um, you guys think the disciples didn't get on Jesus' nerves? <laughs> I mean, seriously. They're traveling with the same stinky dudes for three years. And they're arguing about the dumbest stuff. <laughs> yeah, he got he put up with them, right? And guess what? He puts up with you too. Yeah. Uh, so we got this loving attitude. That's this posture of unity, humility, acceptance, forgiveness, submissiveness to one another. And then we've also uh, we also have these actions and activities we do with one another. But all of that's driven by the attitude, right? And so this internal kind of heart matter of your attitude is going to affect your actions. And so um, one that's really big, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about this one because I think it's so important and it's such a killer because I don't think most, most groups honestly handle this well, but it's you, you manage conflict well. Um, and so it says in Galatians 5, let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. What is conceit a fruit of? Pride. And so if you're a prideful person, are you going to maybe get into some conflicts that you shouldn't? Okay. Put your pride down. By the way, just about all of those attitudes that we talked about, humility is like, if you're just a humble person, which means you're not into the prestige, you're not into the position, you really, you really do think of others before you think of yourself. That's humility. A lot of these other things are going to fall into place. If you struggle with pride, like I do, um, you're going to have, you're going to struggle with this. And by the way, guys, I'm speaking from weakness. Um, this is one, this loving one another. The reason I was studying this stuff is because this is a weakness for me. Um, whenever Rick called me to come do this retreat, he was like, "We want to talk about community," and I was like, "Are you serious?" And he was like, yeah. I was like, dude, I'm in this huge study of that right now. Like, because I suck at it. Um, and he was like, great, all right. So I've, I've seriously been reamed because I've got, I've got mentors in my life. Like, loving other people is something I go out of my way to do. And I still don't do it very well sometimes. But it's something I'm growing in. And it's such a fundamental, like, just basic thing I didn't. I haven't done very well, right? Um, and so, anyway, 
Uh, Colossians, did I read that one? Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. James 4, 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Okay? Um, guys, you know what? I really feel like when you're angry with somebody else in your group and you don't say anything about it, it's a form of dishonesty. Um, whenever you have a conflict with somebody and you just you just don't address it, like I mean, we're going to look at some scriptures in a minute, but guys, that is a killer to your group. You guys, you, we have to learn to go to people and talk to them when we've got a problem with them. And I think um, this uh, James four eleven passage where it says, "Don't slander one another," guys, that is uh, slander is a divisive action. Slander is when you go and talk crap on someone without having any intention of going and working something out with them. You just go talk bad about them to other people in a group, and it creates divisions in a group. Um, huge problem kills like the whole spirit you're trying to go for in a healthy group. And, and guys, you just gotta go learn to go work things out. And the Bible gives us specific instructions on how to do that. And I feel like it's a weird thing because in America, we don't do this like in general. Like, it's just not our culture. It's not our way. But God's way is different, and God's way is better. And so we need to do things God's way. It says uh, in Matthew 18, um, whenever there's sin in your group, which sin causes conflict, guys, there is a specific way to deal with sin. Now, some, some manuscripts actually say if your brother or sister sins against you, um, but some of the older ones don't have that, so you know we don't translate it that way. But it just says, if your brother or sister sins, what are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to go and point out their fault to them, just the two of you, to begin with, right? And so if I see somebody in my group and they're sinning, and it's causing problems, or even if it's not causing problems, if I just see them sinning, I'm going to get my Bible out, and I'm going to open it up, and say, here's what the Bible says about this, and I'm going to go sit down and say, hey, can we talk? And I'm going to try to get some privacy where it's just me and them, and I'm going to open up the scriptures, and I'm going to let the scriptures do the talk. I'm going to say, look at this. This is what the Bible says about this attitude or this action or whatever it is you're in. And if they don't listen, guess what the Bible tells me to do? It tells me to go get one or two of my buddies. And I go get one or two of my buddies, and I say, and this isn't gossip. I go to them and I say, hey, so-and-so is involved in this. I went and talked to him. He's not listening to me. He's, 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 not, he's not repenting. Here's what the Bible says. You guys, let's go. We'll, we'll all go sit down with him. I go sit down with him with my two buddies. We all try to talk to him. If he doesn't listen, what am I supposed to do? Go get my church leaders. Go tell my church leaders what's going on. Here's the situation. Here's what was done. Here's how he's responding. Not responding well. Take my church leaders. We all go sit down and talk to him. Don't listen to him. Take it to the church. Still don't listen. We ask him to leave. Our church practices this. I've had to do this more than once. I'm in a situation right now where I'm about to have to do it again. Guys, do you know that's the most loving thing you can do for that person? Yeah. In 1 Corinthians 5, if you want to study this more, 1 Corinthians 5, there's a specific example where a guy's sleeping with his stepmom and nobody's doing anything about it and Paul gives him specific instructions. They're to, they're to discipline him. They're to exercise church discipline. 
And the whole intention of doing that is not to kick a person out forever. It's to say, you need to repent of this because this is killing your relationship with God. And we don't want you to leave. We want you to repent of this sin and have full fellowship with us. But as long as you're engaging in this and we've talked to you and you're rebelling against God, you don't have a relationship with God. This is killing you. Therefore, you need to leave. Because... This is what the Bible says to do. And if you want to repent, we will welcome you back with open arms. In the scriptures, that guy was kicked out of the church in 1 Corinthians. By 2 Corinthians, by the time it was written, he had come back. And he had been restored. And actually, Paul's instruction was to restore him fully in 2 Corinthians. Because he had repented. Same thing. I've seen it happen. We've exercised church discipline on people. They come back. They're restored. Guess what? They're on fire for the Lord most of the time. Because they were disciplined and God taught them a lesson and, you know, we did what we were supposed to do. So that's what happens when you see sin or when somebody sins against you, you go talk to them, right? You don't go talk to everybody else. You go talk to them. Now, if you need to go ask advice on how to approach someone by somebody who's wise, but your whole intention in going and asking advice is so that you can go work it out with that person, I don't think that's gossip. I think that's wise, especially for new Christians who don't know anything. Go find out what you know what the scriptures say. Ask somebody wise so they can help you. But only do that if your intention is to actually go work it out. Okay? Um, Matthew 5. Uh, here's how the Bible says to handle conflict when somebody's angry with you. It says uh, in verse 21, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. That's commandment number 6 of the 10. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is what? Angry. Angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. What? Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. So you guys don't say that. Um, that was an Aramaic term for contempt. It was roughly equivalent to F you. Okay? So anybody who says that or has that attitude in your heart toward another person, what are you functionally doing to that person? You're not literally murdering them, but as far as your relationship go, you guys ever watch Shark Tank? Mr. Wonderful, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Get out of here. That's what you're saying to that relationship. This relationship is dead to me. Jesus says, well, you just murdered that person. Because I didn't create you guys to be divided like that over something silly. Um... Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of what? Fire of hell. Don't say that. Don't have that attitude. That's pride. God says you think of others better than yourself. You know, you got Paul's example. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst. Guys, that need, we need to try to have that attitude. That's humility. Okay? Um... And then he says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now he's talking to Jews. And these Jews would go offer gifts at the, off, uh, at the altar in the temple to worship. And Jesus is saying, if you have a division between a brother or a sister because they're angry at you about something and you haven't worked it out, don't even come worship me. 
you go work it out with them before you come worship me. That's more important. And guys, that's a form of worship is to be unified with your brothers and sisters. He's saying if you are concerned with that, your worship, you're just going through the motions and they're empty, so stop it and go take care of that problem. And notice it doesn't say if you're angry with them, it says if they're angry with you. What if they're angry with you and they shouldn't be? Go try to work it out. Now, if they aren't willing to work it out, you try. But don't just let that sit there. Because what's going to happen to that person if they dwell in that anger? Guys, do you know what anger leads to? Unresolved anger leads to hatred and bitterness. And hatred and bitterness is what leads to slander. It's what leads to gossip. It's what leads to divisiveness. And guys, did you know that those three sins? Guys... Those separate you from God. The scriptures speak very clearly. Revelation 21, Galatians 5, like gossip, slander, divisiveness, Titus 3.10. Those are nothing to mess around with. So if somebody is angry at you, and if there's anything you can do to, to assuage that anger, to get that anger to go away, nothing... Like, you don't want to go lie or be untruthful, but if there's something you can do to make that go away, you need to do that because that's loving that other person. Even if they're acting sinfully, that's putting them ahead of you. Which Jesus put you ahead of him when you were acting sinfully. And so you're being Christ-like to that person, even if they're not necessarily being Christ-like to you. Our posture needs to be one of forgiveness and trying to work it out, Okay. Uh, Ephesians 4, 25-27 says, Therefore each of you must put off what? Falsehood. Falsehood. And speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil, devil a foothold. This is talking in the context of interpersonal conflict. If you're angry with someone... You're lying if you don't acknowledge that you have some feelings there. Guys, I even do this with people that annoy me. Honestly, it doesn't even have to be like full-fledged anger. If somebody just gets on my nerves, I'll tell them. Um, you know, I've got a reputation with my group members that I'll just tell you whatever's on my mind. Uh, and, and I've, over the years, gotten to where I'm, I'm a lot more gentle uh, than I used to be. I used to just, like, like I said, J-E-R-K. Um, I've gotten a lot more gentle over the years, but guys, I still, I'm, I just want to be real. Like with people. i got a guy in my group who stinks all the time. He does. He stinks. And, and like, and I tell him, man, I'm not going to say his name, but, but man, you got to take care of this. Because when I take you into a restaurant, like not only is it offensive to me, I mean, it's, it's hard to sit by you, dude, but I take you around other people that we're reaching out to, and dude, they're like looking at me like, get me out of here, you know? Because it's because you stink so bad. You need to take a shower and get some deodorant. And, and guys, I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just like, I gotta be real about this. You need to take care of this. Um, and guys, that's to me, that's love. Like, 
How many people are not going to want to be this dude's friend because he stinks all the time? You know? Like, I'm, not, I'm, I'm serious. This is love. Some of you guys need to love one another better. Uh, uh, anyway. Um, no, but if you are angry, though, seriously, if you are angry, um, I, this says not to let the sun go down on your anger. Jesus said before, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're in the middle of worship, you drop it and run, and you go work that out. He's, Paul says here, uh, work this out. Don't let the sun go down. Go work it out now. Don't put this off. Guys, because what happens when we put it off? Sometimes don't get around to it. What does unresolved anger lead to 100% of the time? Bitterness. That's why it says in Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That bitter root, that unresolved anger, that's what leads to gossip, that's what leads to slander, that what, that's what leads to divisiveness, that's what leads to ineffective ministries and ineffective churches and shallow relationships. Speak truthfully to one another. Be real with one another. If you have a problem with someone, go sit down and talk it out. Even if it turns out you're wrong, you're supposed to be humble. And so you say, okay, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Sometimes you shouldn't be angry. The reason you're angry is because you're prideful. So be prepared. I mean, sometimes. Sometimes it's righteous, but most of the time, guys, anger doesn't come from holiness. Most of the time it comes from pride. How many times do we see in the scripture of Jesus getting angry? Once. So that means you can do it, not sin. But guys, how many times did he have reason to be angry that he didn't get angry? And he was frustrated, but there's only one time I'd say he was just angry, and that was at the cleansing of the temple. You know, maybe with the Pharisees, because he spoke pretty frankly with them, but guys, you just don't see it. I look at my life, huh, I don't look like him. I get angry at dumb stuff. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. Like, you know, I just need to get over it, right? Get over myself. Quit thinking so highly of myself. Right? Get over the pride. Um, faking it leads to this unresolved anger. So guys, don't fake it. Go work it out. Work it out, okay? Number seven. Disciples spend time in close fellowship with one another. Uh, it says in Hebrews 10, uh, not giving up meeting together is somewhere in the habit of doing. This is in the context of... Uh, you know, encouraging and spurring one another on, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. First uh, Peter four nine offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, you think about that Acts passage, guys. They were together every day. They were fellowshipping. They were breaking bread. They were having meals together. They were having fun together. They were goofing off together. They were together. You know, and it wasn't all just fun and games. Like they were sharing their struggles. They were sharing. Um, their deepest, darkest secrets and confession of sin. They were sharing all kinds of stuff, guys. They, they were close. They spent time together. They loved one another and it showed. 
in uh, true biblical fellowship, it just it takes time and energy beyond simply attending a church service together every once in a while. It's more than that. It's um, there's this idea that's popular now in our country that you can be a Christian and not be part of a church. Because that's so foreign to the scriptures. It's not there. Like, you're not just part of a church if you're doing this biblically. You're part of a family. The problem is most churches aren't like that. Guys, let's not be like most churches. Let's not compare ourselves to others. And what we're doing a little better than these guys. Let's just look at the Bible and do what it says. Guys, does that, does that sound like a good idea? Yeah. I like that. Let's just look at it and do what it says. It simplifies a lot of stuff. It really does. It saves a lot of argument. Um, number nine, disciples teach one another. It says in Romans 15, 14, I myself am, con am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Some versions say competent to counsel one another. Um, Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. You guys know what admonish means? It means to warn. You warn one another. And how do you do that? Look at this. With all wisdom, you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Why are we singing hymns and songs? Is it just because God needs it? Please give it to me. No, we sing songs. We worship God. Okay, God's not an egomaniac. Let me just throw that out there. He doesn't need your song. He's doing good without it. He likes it, though. And you want to know why he likes it? Because it's helping you. He wants us to praise him and honor him and worship him. Because it's helping us be reminded who He is. And the better picture we have of who God is, the better we're going to see everything else. It's going to put everything in perspective for us. And so we worship God. But it's, it's to Him, but really He tells us to do it because it's benefiting us. Not because He needs it. It's benefiting us. Um, and uh, this idea that we're competent to teach each other, guys... Uh, I think I said in the prayer that all of us have something to teach the others in here. All of us come from a different background. You know, some people have the gift of teaching. Some people have the gift of preaching. But guys, all of us are called to teach. And just because you don't have a spiritual gift of teaching, guys, you may not have a spiritual gift of service. Does that mean you never serve anybody? Like, oh, I don't have that gift. I don't want them, I don't want them to do that. <laughs> no. That's not how it works. God has wired you a certain way and you have certain proclivities and certain things that you're maybe better at just naturally because that's how God made you. But that doesn't mean you don't do these other things too. And as far as teaching goes, guys, all of you who have the Holy Spirit of God within you have something to say to somebody else. You have a word for somebody else. You have an instruction for somebody else. Oh, and did I mention you also have a Bible that you can read and learn and like teach people out of yourself? You sure can. You don't even have to have any initials after your name. Some kind of education. You can just open it and read it. Like, seriously, it's awesome. Um, excuse the sarcasm. But um, it's great. All of you can do that, right? All of you can. 
next, disciples encourage one another. Again, back to worship. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Guys, this is encouraging to one another. It's, it's beautiful worship we have here this weekend. It's great. I love uh, acapella singing. Like, it's awesome. Um, it's encouraging to hear you guys sing. It's encouraging. Um, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up, just as in fact you're doing Hebrews 3.13. Uh, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, this just means to encourage. It means to urge. It means to cheer up. It means to cheer on. Uh, it means to make people feel better. And so that's what we do when we have an uplifting word for others. And then here's another one that's uh, really important. The last one on this list that I'm giving you is disciples challenge and sharpen one another. Disciples challenge and sharpen one another. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, this says if somebody's caught in sin, what should you do? What's it say? Restore them. How do you do that? Okay. Practically, how do you do that? What does this look like? What's it say in Matthew 18? Go talk to them, right? You go do this in front of everybody? No. Go talk to them privately. How could you be tempted through that? It says, watch yourself or you also may be tempted. How, what are some possibilities that that could mean? Slander, gossip. Okay. What if they reject you? What if they say, take that Bible, turn it sideways, and whatever the rock says? Um, it's actually been said to me before. Um, I can tell you guys some funny stories, but I'm not going to. Uh, Jesus said, don't say raka. And you guys know what that means. Don't even have that attitude. Don't say you fool. Could you be tempted to do that if you get rejected? You know what you're doing whenever you respond in anger to somebody who rejects you? You're protecting yourself. You serve a God who didn't protect himself. He just took it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, he didn't slap it back, even though he could have gotten that off the cross and zapped everybody and burned the whole world. He didn't do that. But he could have. He had this power. Um... Another way you could be tempted, guys, is if somebody is involved in a sin and they get you wrapped up in it instead. You get enticed, you know. Be careful. Just be careful. Watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill what? When he says to carry each other's burdens, what's he talking about? Sin. Struggle. When somebody's struggling, you go over there and you try to help them. You lift them up. But don't get wrapped up in their sin. Be careful. 
It says in Hebrews 10.24, Let us consider how we may spur one another uh, on toward love and good deeds. It says let us consider that. Do you guys think about how you can spur your brothers and sisters on to love and good deeds? Do you just like sit around thinking about that? What can I do to spur them on to become more like Christ? Is that, is that in your thoughts? Because it should be. It needs to be, okay? Uh, and then James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Does it say so that you may be forgiven? Don't miss that. It says so that you may be healed. That does say in 1 John you confess your sins to be forgiven. Here it says to be healed. Guys, I was addicted to pornography after I became a Christian for years. And it took me baptizing this kid who was a pothead who came to church for the first time. We'd started this little church at a coffee shop, me and Ariel and some friends of ours, um, because we were reaching people that like had piercings and tattoos and felt like they couldn't go to regular church because that's where the good people are. They're not good people. Um, so we're like, okay, we'll, we'll make a church for bad people. You know, we think God would like that. So, um, and so I brought this kid, and, and uh, we we would break down after our service into girl and guy groups, and we would just have a time of confession. And this kid didn't know any better. It was his first time. You know, he's like, oh yeah, I got some sins. I just smoked weed like just a few minutes ago. And I've been looking at porn. And we were all like, oh, okay. Uh, but it was cool because that like broke the ice. And every single guy in the group, it turns out, had been struggling with porn. And even though we'd been meeting for the past several weeks, none of us were talking about it. Like, and it took this pothead coming into our group and just busting us out. And so we went around the circle and every single guy in the circle confessed this sin. And we decided from that little meeting that we were going to put software on our computers to email each other with all the websites we went to. And guess what? All of us quit looking at porn. We were healed. Yeah. Right? And that's how it works when you confess sin. And you, you know you have people that are going to be asking you, how are you doing with that Like on a regular basis? And it's just like, it, it's a voluntary thing that you do. Nobody can force you to do it. You know, if somebody tries to, then they're, they're not being godly themselves. But I'm telling you, there's freedom in it. Whatever you just put yourself out there. And you know, that the word humility, I was looking at today, in Greek it means to make yourself lower. It means, it's like the base word for humiliate. It's like you kind of humiliate yourself a little bit. Because confessing sin, it's uncomfortable, it's shameful. It doesn't feel good, right? That's what keeps us from doing it. Is, man, it's going to kind of hurt. You know, what if they think bad about me? Are people going to look down on me? And Yeah, that's... That's humble. You, you let them, right? But you know what's cool in the church is people don't do that. I respect people when they get up and tell all their business. They're like, here's, here's where I am. Like, people get up and have to be removed from leadership in the church. I respect those guys who get up and say, here's the sin I've been involved in. I need to step down from leadership. Okay, we're going to help you work through that. One of these days you're going to be restored. You're going to be stronger than ever and a better leader. Guys, it's okay you give up your position if you have to. Yeah. That's okay. I don't look down on anybody for that. Guys, and, and instead of running people off, like what really happens when you're just butt ugly honest with people is they are closer to you. They feel closer to you because they feel like there's not going to be any judgment from you because you're just as jacked up as they are. <laughs> right? 
Guys, I have heard it all. Even these uh, men's groups or people that, that have been abused as kids. Guys, I've heard everything. I've dealt with guys that are pedophiles. I've dealt with guys that have raped people. I've dealt with guys that have done all kinds of horrible things. Guys, I've heard it all. Nothing surprises me anymore. And guys, it's so disarming and so so beneficial to people when they can come and just, just tell everything and then you give them a hug. And they don't feel what they were so afraid they were going to feel, which is your rejection. You give them a hug and you say, God's going to get you through this. Guys, that's what God does for us. When we come to him in confession and repentance, that's what he does. And guys, we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. We are to act like he acts. When people come and confess their deepest, darkest secrets, guys, we give them a hug and we pray for them. That's what we do. Right? And that's so fundamental to loving one another. And guys, guess what? In order to receive that love, guess what's on you? Dude, you got to be willing to get up and tell it. And you got to be willing to let people love you. Because when you're being dishonest by not telling and keeping it in, you're not letting the body of Christ love you. You're keeping other people from being able to do what God is calling them to do, and that is to minister to you and to serve you in that way. So don't be unfaithful in that. Open yourself up to the love of God and the love of people through this, okay? 100% voluntary, but I'm telling you the benefits are awesome. And just like we talked about yesterday, God will take that darkness and turn it into light, and it will shine bright. And you will help other people who don't have the courage to share get the courage to share, and they'll find healing too. By His wounds we're healed. By your wounds people are healed. So open up. Don't care what it is. Um, when we don't open up, guess what we are doing? We are protecting ourselves. We are holding on to our reputation. We are holding on to our status. Guess what that's a mark of? Pride. Humility is giving up reputation, giving up status, making yourself lower. Pride. I'm up here, I want to ascend, I want to hold on to this, I'm not going to give that up. Don't be prideful. What is the opposite of love? Apathy. Apathy? That's an interesting one. I like that. Okay. Who said that? You said that? Okay. Anybody else got a guess? Hey, that's what I was expecting. <laughs> you have a deep thinker over here to do That's good. Um, actually, the opposite of love is self-protection. When you think of it in biblical terms. And I'll show you what I mean. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. How many of you guys who got married have this read at your wedding? Anybody? How many of you guys want to have this read at your wedding? This has nothing to do with weddings. <laughs> That's okay. Who said it was so cute? It is cute, yes, it is cute. Um, all right, let me read through this real quick. These are the characteristics of love. By the way, who is God? We sang it earlier. God is love, right? 
Are these characteristics of somebody else too? Yeah. So let's look at this real quick. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Okay. Everybody get a piece of paper or get an iPhone or something that you can write with. I guess those Android phones write too, huh? Okay. I guess they're okay. Um, by the way, I heard we were using the, the Galaxy uh, whatever to start the campfire tonight. Is that? Um, yeah, awesome. So it's going to be a really big fire. Um, cool. Anybody else need a piece of paper? Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down uh, the characteristic of love that you see up here and then leave room, like a couple lines, three lines, four lines underneath it and just, just write the characteristics out like patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, does not proud and then just leave some room for some bullet points underneath it. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you the opposite of each of these characteristics. Uh, it's all give you just a minute to do that. Okay, and I'm going to go ahead and start working on this. So if you guys need to write the characteristic of love in a moment, you can do it. You guys are in college. I know the professors don't wait. At least mine didn't. They were kind of, they had JERKs on the Myers-Briggs too. Um, I'll give you about 30 more seconds. Okay, patient. What's the opposite of patient? Impatient, right? These underneath patient. Impatient which is what some of you feel like I am right now. Short, irritable, rushes. Okay? Second one is kind. Love is kind. What's the opposite of kind? Unkind. Rude. Mean. Write these down. Love is kind. This other thing is unkind, rude, and mean. Love does not envy. What's the opposite of does not envy? It's jealous, envious. Another good word is discontent. Uh, covetous, if you want to say something with your pinky in the air. Very covetous. <laughs> okay. Does not boast, is not proud. I'll put that all in one. 
Does not boast, is not proud. What's the opposite of does not boast and is not proud? No, the opposite. You brag? You do boast? You are proud? Full of pride? Right? Love does not dishonor others. What's the opposite of that? Does dishonor others, okay? Answers harsh words with harsh words. Always has to win. Always has to have a comeback. Manipulates, tricks, always has to have the last word. <coughs> Love is not self-seeking. What's the opposite of not self-seeking? Self-seeking, selfish, self-centered, greedy, seeks attention, is controlling, right? Love is not easily angered. What's the opposite of that? Short-tempered, hot-headed, Blows up. You want to know what another uh, thing that gets overlooked a lot? Sarcasm and cynicism. All that is is anger. Yeah. Unresolved anger. Are you a person who's constantly sarcastic? You're angry. <laughs> if I were discipling you, I would figure out what you were angry about. And I'm not joking. I'm serious. I used to be the most sarcastic and cynical person I knew. And even after I became a Christian, I justified it. Because I was like, well, Paul was sarcastic in 2 Corinthians 10 when he was talking to the false apostles. And he was. But he was also angry. And he was yeah, good reason to be. That was righteous anger. Mine was unrighteous. But that's all that is. Is anger. Unresolved anger. Bitterness. If you're sarcastic and cynical. So I would want to give it the root of wine. Love keeps no record of wrongs. What's the opposite of that? Holds a grudge. Keeps a list. Keeps score. Won't forgive. Hold on to that anger. Right? Love does not delight in evil. What does the opposite do? does delight in evil. It thinks it's funny. It enjoys evil. Laughs when it sees tragedy on the news. Makes jokes about it. Love rejoices with the truth. What does the opposite do? Lies. Hides in the dark. Doesn't like the truth, is argumentative with the truth, is not willing to look at the truth. That's what the opposite of love does. Love protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. I put all those together. Love protects, trusts, 
hopes, and perseveres. The opposite of love harms others in the name of protecting self. The opposite of love doesn't trust anyone, is skeptical of everything and everyone. The opposite of love is hopeless and pessimistic. And the opposite of love is easily, dis easily discouraged, gives up, and quits when things get hard. Love never fails. What's the opposite of love? Self-protection. Self-protection always fails. On a practical level, in day-to-day -day life, these characteristics that are the opposite of love are all characteristics and things we do when we're protecting ourselves. Let that sink in. What happens when you do or act out of any one of these characteristics? How do people feel? They feel hated. Because self-protection at its core is hateful to everyone around you. It's hateful. So see how this works together? See how this plays? Guys, when you protect yourself from other people, on a relational level, because when you do, you're making them feel hated, and that's the opposite of love. That's the opposite of godliness. And guess what self-protection always does, guys? It always fails. It's ungodly, and it's not who God created you to be or how God created you to act. Not at all. Do you see yourself in this? Yes. And you know what you have to repent of. I see myself in this. Blew my mind the first time I looked at this. Repent. Let's look one more time at Acts 2. 42-47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Yes. Guys, you go back and look at those one another's, every single one another that God calls us to, to, to this expression of love. Here's how you do it, we see in this first community. All of those characteristics of self-protection, do you see any of those here? Guys, why was this community so healthy? Why was this community reaching people on a daily basis? Because they were making the conscious decision to make God number one, to love Him first and foremost above everything, and to love one another as God instructed Him, and to love the lost. And not to protect themselves from one another. They acted in humility, not in pride. They confessed their sins. They carried each other's burdens. They worked out conflict. Guys, they set an example for us. And God did not put this in the Bible so that we would look at some 
church that existed long ago like it's some fantasy that can't happen again. Because let me tell you something, guys. I've experienced this community in my Christian walk. And I know a lot of you in here probably have. Some of you haven't. But this is reproducible if we get our hearts right. Amen. But we got to get our hearts right. And that starts with your relationship with God. And then it starts with you making the conscious choice to make yourself nothing for the betterment of the people around you. Not to worry about your reputation, not to worry about getting on stage, not to worry about all the pats on the back. You've got just to worry about doing what's faithful. Getting over yourself and dying to yourself and putting others ahead of you. It's about the heart. It begins in here, right? Guys, we're going to do something so special tonight. I'm so excited for you. We're going to go eat some s'mores. That's not what I'm excited about. Not what I'm excited about. I'm excited about what's going to happen after that. We're going to come back in here. And guys, I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts. But I'm going to talk for about five minutes. And then I'm going to turn the mic over to you guys. And you're going to have an opportunity, guys, to share what you need help with. And then we're going to pray for each other. We're going to lay hands on each other. Guys, we don't have an end date on that or end time. I've done this before, guys. This is, this is awesome. We get together and we say, man, we're just going to set this time aside to get right with God and to get right with one another and to lay down our pride. I'm excited because I know God's going to move. And some of you need it. Some of you need it bad. It's going to happen. I've been praying for you guys. I believe that. And so, um, oh yeah, you guys didn't remind me to tweet out my stuff. <laughs> I wrote a note here. Um, that's how I remember. Um, I'm going to put this guide on Twitter real quick. Uh, you guys, you can get it on Facebook. I think it'll just carry over. But if you're on Twitter, uh, it's at Wes Waddell. I'm going to put it on the hashtags too, so you don't even have to like follow me. You can just click the hashtag and it'll be there. Um, but I have made a guide for you guys. One of the things that are so cool about retreats is... Um, the high that you kind of leave on. But I've been doing this a while. And you get back home, you get back into the routine, and a lot of times that high you leave the retreat from, when you get back into real life and your day-to-day, like it kind of wanes a little bit. Um, I've found that the lessons that are taught at something like this, you hold on to them a lot better. And the growth kind of sticks around if you guys continue focusing on the lessons that we're learning here this weekend after you go home. And so there's a 30-day guide that I'm going to tweet out uh, that's quiet times. And uh, I recommend, you know, I like getting up in the morning and and going over this stuff. Um, Some of you may not be morning people. Uh, You know, I would tell the people in my group, like, what what your feelings have to do with anything. But I'm not going to say that to you guys. Um, Just do it sometime during the day. and just just be blessed, man. It's just the scripture. Uh, so just be blessed by that. So I'm done. Let's go eat some s'mores. Let me pray first. Uh, God, thanks again for bringing us here tonight. Thank you for the fellowship we share. Uh, God, I pray you bless our time of uh, hanging out around the campfire. God, I pray you, you just move tonight. When we come back in here, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a blessing. Uh, And I I just uh, pray you bless this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.